Howdy, everybody, and welcome to another BP Movie Journal, the show we do where we talk about the stuff we've seen since the last time we did one of these. I'm David. I'm Tyler. Um, speaking of the last time we did one of these, I might have mentioned at that point that I was coming down with something. Mm. I am now getting over something. It's been a full week. I usually am not sick for a week. Yeah. Like I tend to be sick for three days, maybe four, uh, but I am still feeling it. That was a, a doozy of a cold that ruined my New Year's Eve. I did not get to celebrate the end of 2016. Wow. You know? Yeah. Um, like I think in 2016 parlance, 2016 was a garbage year, right? Yeah. Now that we're perhaps in 2017, we perhaps that. we can move on from describing things as garbage, yeah. or, right? Or wouldn't, hot garbage. Wouldn't that be nice? Sure. Dumpster yeah. fires. We sure. Could, we could move on from that. Absolutely. Let's definitely leave all of that in yeah. the past. Uh, it's become something of a, uh, something of a recurring not theme. I don't know what you call it. A, a, a sub series of battleship pretension that we will occasionally, uh, weigh in on terms we don't like. I yeah. Well, I actually, this reminds me, I hadn't thought about this because you're right. We've done it, but, um, Matt Groening in life in hell mm-hmm. used to do a thing every, it was either every December or every January that was like words we can retire. Oh, okay. Uh, just, you know, words that got used way, way, way too much. Um, and, uh, maybe that's subconsciously where I'm drawing my inspiration from because I, I do, I do get sick of hearing the same words over and over again Yeah, because I think it robs them of meaning. I've talked about this before about like, uh, even ideas that I subscribe to, you know, like yeah. I think when, when, when people talk about rape culture, I think they're talking about something that needs to be talked about. Yeah. But I also think the term rape culture has been used overused to the point that it's white noise and, just, that's, and it work it works at cross purposes with the people using it. I just took an online, uh, title nine training course, uh, today because I'm going to be a TA, uh, this coming quarter. <laughs> oh, I thought you were going to be coaching women's volleyball. Oh, that's what I'm doing. That's, um, the, the film department, women's volleyball team, uh, which is good because I would be making a lot of statements uh, in that situation. But, um, so in which I'd be like, you're playing like a bunch of film students. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah. And so I, I was, uh, educated about some, some things now in some cases it's just like, okay, I don't agree with that. I don't agree with that, but I can repeat it. And that's all that matters. Okay. Uh, and so the, the world of, uh, of rape culture, I've come to realize at least in the moment i've got notes now about what that officially is and yes i think it is at this point overused yeah so um and yeah it's i think honestly i don't think it's a subconscious thing on your part that uh, where you're like you feel like maybe you're ripping off matt graining i think it's that twitter and facebook and probably instagram you get these these trends in what people are saying and and everyone and then it one person says it, someone else likes it. And from, from there on, it just spreads like wildfire. And I think the, the, the rate at which things become worn out yeah. seems to be increasing. Like, Absolutely. Like the idea of such and such is broken. Like that yeah. went from being, uh, uh, you know, uh, from being introduced to being eye rolling in yeah. the space of like three or four months. I feel like I'm sick of things being described as broken. Yeah. Well, and what's interesting is because, uh, in, in the Christian world, broken is often how people describe themselves. Um, you know, I'm, a, I'm a broken person and now it's, it's often how 
we describe everybody that we were all broken in a way. And so now culture has, oh, okay. has taken that up. And it's like, yeah. ah, shit. Yeah, you don't mean someone's been broken like a horse. Like when you, Oh no. Like when you go to <laughs> preach to the heathens and you indoctrinate them, then you consider them a broken, a well, broken people that will definitely play into today's discussion. Uh, that idea of uh, quite the opposite in fact, in some cases, but, uh, but yeah, uh, people that, uh, our Facebook friends will definitely know how tired I've gotten of, uh, asking for a friend, uh, that horse shit. Yeah. Um, where it's just, it's, it was funny. Yeah. But I can't, uh, yeah, I've grown tired of it. Yeah. I feel like that one has started to ebb a little bit. I think people have, I don't know, maybe I see it it more on Facebook than Twitter. I'll say that. Oh, well that's because Facebook is like, it's like the, um, the, the echo of Twitter. Like (laughs) everything happens on Facebook after Twitter is done with it. I also feel like if there is any trend that will require more characters, it will last longer on Facebook. Uh, I've come to really appreciate the limitation, the character limitation on Twitter because Facebook, that's when you get people like really just ranting about things. And I think, okay, I've, I, I, first I don't have the time. And secondly, you're probably just repeating yourself after four sentences, which is usually true. (laughs) Um, you know what? Do you sometimes feel like a hypocrite though? Because I do (laughs) No, like, complaining about overused jokes except there are some maybe that will just always work for you and uh and and so you feel do you feel weird giving those a pass like for me the thing where anytime there's a mention of the number 69 and everyone just goes nice (laughs) i that will always be funny to me uh uh and, and so even though it's played out and it takes at this point no creativity to see the number 69 and just respond nice it will always be funny. And so I'm never going to call that one out. Well, the humor comes not from 69. The humor comes from playing this douchey character. (laughs) I mean, they do it on never not funny all the time and it's, and it has, it's never not funny, honestly. Uh, yeah, there are certain, maybe not specific, uh, words or phrases or, or verbal jokes. It's more just general concepts that will always make me laugh. As you know, someone with an, with a very official voice saying, saying something unofficial or silly uh-huh. will always make me laugh. That is maybe the core of my uh, comedic uh, sense is this guy shouldn't be saying this, <laughs> um, you know, with, with maybe the, 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 Prime example being Rob Webb in uh, Fishing with John, obviously. Sure, sure. But yeah. anyway, oh, we should move on. Yeah, let's uh, talk about the stuff we've seen. Yes. Uh, now, all, I have four movies, not that many for the uh, by my standards, um, but I spent you know days in in a in a haze where I could only yeah. sort of come in and out of uh, Food Network, um, mm. and of course my old standby Buffy and Angel. Sure, uh, watched a lot of Buffy and Angel. Um, anyway. Uh, so let's get started with uh, a movie I was cautiously excited to see, and I feel like both my caution and my optimism were the right choice. Okay, uh, I watched uh, Nicholas Vending Refn's The Neon Demon. Oh, okay. Have you not? Have you? I seen, have seen that. You have seen it. Yes. Okay. Uh, I, I couldn't remember. And I'd venture um, to say I loved it. Really? Yes. I think it is. Sometimes it is just gobsmackingly stupid. Yep. <laughs> um, no question. 
uh, and I think there are. I think there are two different, there are multiple different parts of not, well, there aren't that many different sides to Nicholas Finding Refn, but there are At best three. <laughs> there, are, there are two different ones that I tend to respond to in very different ways. Mm-hmm. And I think when he wallows, I like it when he's willing to just say this, is the you know, the, the rest of this scene or the rest of this, whatever is going to be weird yeah. or it's going to be pretty or it's gonna be whatever and we're just gonna take our time and look at it for a while or even if it's gross it'll be like beautifully you know i think i don't want to give away the the ending of this movie is something i loved so so much if ever the term hot garbage actually did apply (laughs) to something it would be this movie but Uh, a different definition of hot (laughs) um yeah exactly Uh, i think there i mean there are things that are beautiful and things that i um, that I, that I love, even, even when they're not very, you know, I, I, it's a very superficial movie. Um, and when he wallows in the superficiality, um, uh, and it's pretty, I like it. And that's why mm-hmm. I think why I like only God forgives is it's just, uh, a movie that maybe has, it's a 90 minute movie that has maybe 12 minutes worth of ideas, but it like, it doesn't, it, right. it just like lets them play out and lets it be weird and gross and beautiful. But there's also, I think, a um a smugness to nicholas vending Refn that tends to turn me off mm-hmm. it's why i didn't like drive like i think there's so much of drive that is way too self-conscious about the fact that it's um or or the notion that it's a deconstruction of a, of a type of genre movie yeah even though i don't think it really is uh, doing anything to deconstruct it. I think it, it is sort of, uh, putting on that, uh, it echoes, those, those but doesn't have anything to say. Yeah. And here you've got a very, very stupid, um, and unoriginal message movie here mm-hmm. in the neon demon and anything that had to do with the, you know, the, beauty is skin deep or everyone in Los Angeles or in the modeling agency and entertainment agency, or whatever is shallow and backstabbing and all that, like mm-hmm. that kind of stuff is, uh, I, I hated it. I hated the, um, the character. I can't remember who, what his name is, but the guy who does the, who casts the, uh, modeling, uh, shoots, you know, and it's like, uh, was it Alessandro Nivola? Uh, yeah, that's who it is. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I like that. I've always liked that actor, but I just hated the, the character and the way that he's used and like, I like the obviousness of, see, I didn't, I, I guess I didn't like the obviousness of him, like not looking up from the table while, uh, is it Abby Lee? Is that her name? That sounds um, correct. Is, is, is auditioning or then he has the, the line, beauty isn't everything. It's the only thing, which is so yeah. stupid. And so the movie is, it's two hours long, which is long for a Nicholas Vending Refn movie. I think yeah. it might be the longest movie he's made. Um, uh, because you know, I guess when you're, his when, movies always feel long to me. Well, yeah, if you're going to have, if you're going to hold a shot of an empty hallway for 25 <laughs> seconds, just because you like the lighting and the, in the production design, which I have no problem with. I yeah. like that stuff. Uh, but you, the trade-off is you're not going to do that for two and a half hours. Except yeah. here he did it for two hours. Uh, and I think um, it really just goes back and forth between this part I'm bored with uh, and this part is fantastic. Um, I want to get, okay, I know you must've talked about it when you saw it. I want to talk about the movie journal. Before. Probably. Yeah. Um, any of your thoughts before I get to the next thing that I want to talk about about this movie? Yes. Okay. Um, so, 
Yeah, uh, as you know, I'm not a, a big uh, Nicholas Winding Refn fan. There are things that I like about Drive. There are things that I like about uh, Only God Forgives. Have I you was, seen any, like, the Juicy... I saw Valhalla Rising. Valhalla Rising, there's Bronson, there's... I the, saw Bronson, the, uh, and I like Bronson a lot. The Pusher actually. trilogy, there's... I saw the remake of Pusher that he produced, but not oh, okay. the one he directed. Then there's Fear X, the one that everyone forgets, which was actually his first English language. Is that with John uh, Turturro? John Turturro. I didn't see that one. Um, it's not very good. Uh, so I guess I've seen a, f- I guess I've seen a fair number of his yeah. films and, and I did like, uh, I keep wanting to say chopper Bronson, <laughs> a different mustachioed, uh, psychopath. Um, but, uh, so yeah, um, I like that. I like elements of Valhalla rising. Um, but this is probably my favorite of his films. And I think what got me was that like, it took me about a half hour for, uh, to realize that, Oh, finally, he is telling a story with characters as vapid as his style. <laughs> that's and, a good, and that's it a good felt point. right to me. That's it's a good it, point. He finally f- arrived where I, he needed to arrive. I do like there's, I'm not sure how, if he, if he's even self-aware enough to know that he did this, but the fact that there's, there's a little meta commentary where Christina Hendricks is looking at the photo shoot that opens mm-hmm. the beginning and calling it amateurish. Yeah. Like, I mean like the opening like tableau is very Nicholas Vinding Ruffin. Yes. And then two scenes later, you've got Christina Hendricks talking about how hacky it is. <laughs> <laughs> I liked that. I don't know if it's on purpose, but I, I really feel like it. it can't possibly be right. <laughs> um, if anything, he be, he would use that as an indictment of Christina Hendricks character. Like she doesn't know beauty when she sees it. <laughs> um, but, uh, I do love the performances all around. Um, Let's, let me get to with a special is, commendation for Keanu Reeves. Uh, Keanu Reeves is great. And I don't know, again, I don't know if this is on purpose, but uh, there's a part, I don't know if this is even a spoiler, but a uh, mountain lion breaks into El Fanning's yeah. um, hotel room. And then later when Carl Guzman's care, I can't, I can't remember what his last name is, but he's also in nocturnal animals. I can't remember if I you watched that, that yet. Um, uh, he's good when Carl, when that character comes looking for him and, and says room two twelve or whatever, uh, Ken Reeves goes, Oh, the wildcat. And I thought, Oh, wildcat. That's from speed, <laughs> right? <laughs> that's how he knew that Dennis Hopper could see them Oh, okay. because Sandra oh, Bullock had an, uh, Arizona university sweatshirt and they're the wildcats. And he read referred to her as a wildcat. And that's how he knew. And I was, uh, I don't know if that's, again, I don't know if it's intentional, but when I, when Ken Reeves says wildcat, yeah. I'm going to think of speed. Um, I will always assume it's unintentional <laughs> if there's something in, with any level of depth in a Nicholas Winding Refn film. I recognize that it just, it's sounding like I'm saying I don't like the movie. Again, it is pure style, no substance. Yeah. Uh, I think there are moments when he thinks there's substance, but I, I will say this, that uh, anytime I see a movie that really strikes me, I will go to my BP's submissions ballot, which I haven't done yet because there's still a number of uh, films I haven't seen. But And I go category by category saying, like, do I want to include this film? Uh, you know, so oh, when I saw this, I was like, okay, picture, director, actress, supporting actress, like three times, uh, cinematography, definitely score. And I was like, screenplay, I'll just skip over that. <laughs> um, and then Keanu Reeves for, uh, the, uh, Bruce McGill award. And so, uh, now some of those have dropped out or as I've seen other movies, okay. but, uh, but yeah, the script is not strong. His scripts are never strong. Um, he some t- he, he's able to write characters broad enough that if you get an actor like Kristen, uh, Scott Thomas 
or mm-hmm. Albert Brooks, they can do great things with it. And I think there are actors and actresses that do great things with characters in this, but visually it's, it's everything about it is, is just pure tone. And well, I let, like the tone. Let, okay. Let, then let me get to what I want to say, which is, then this is maybe this is, there's an episode in this, but uh, this has something to do with me. I've always talked about how I don't really know how to talk about acting a lot okay. of times. I don't, when I write reviews, I don't write about acting that often because I don't really fully understand it. Um, and I think sometimes, especially in this like award season, like Oscar type of, uh, when we think about Oscar clips and we think about mm. like what's going to get awarded best performance, I think a lot of what people default to looking to is realism. Like how much did this actor make me believe this person was like a real person in the real world? Yeah. Um, and that is a, difficult thing to do to, to approximate entirely mm-hmm. and, and conjure up an entirely different person. That's a very important uh, trick, but there are, that's not what every movie calls for. And right. I think there's something to be said for abstract acting. That's yeah. what I think might be a, uh, abstracting, a, uh, <laughs> uh, an episode someday. And sure. I think, and I, uh, I, I discovered it as the movie went on. I started to realize that I think what Elle Fanning is doing is amazing. And I think she is so, she is so clued in to what the movie is supposed to be that she's, yes. she's, she's a secret, not, not even a secret weapon. She's the star, but she's an MVP is maybe the word I'm looking for. Um, but I, I still, because I'm so dumb about acting, I don't really know how to put it into words, except that she seems so right <laughs> for yeah. what the movie is trying to be. Yeah, it's there's there's a, a certain awareness. It's not unlike. Uh, Do you ever see a face in the crowd, Ilya Kazan film? No, I never did. Um, and you see this uh, with other <laughs> with other movies as well. Um, often in the world of show business or politics or something like that, or business sometimes, where somebody who comes in is somewhat naive, not nearly as naive as other people think they are, Mm -hmm. but then they understand very quickly exactly what needs to happen for them to succeed. And that's what we get with this. But what I like is that she's not, she might seem, you know, like she just stepped off the bus, but she has been working towards this privately Uh her whole life. And so that's why she is so able to, to adapt. And there's something about, it's almost, I think we, we talked about this with some, with like, there will be blood that this is not someone that was corrupted by oh, right. uh, yeah. this industry that she's a part of. She is the type of person that corrupts this industry. Um, and she is simply being given more opportunities to do so. And there's definitely an arc there, but, uh, to me, I will say it, this, the, the writing again is very broad, but when she's standing on the diving board and she's mm-hmm. giving that soliloquy, yeah. Great. Yeah, it's I, it's, amazing. I think yeah. it's, I think it's actually pretty good writing for the, her character and she sells it in such a way that's, it's ethereal. It's this person has finally achieved. Now, of course she has so much, uh, you know, she has so many, so many other places to go in her career, but she has finally, she is at the peak of her at this particular moment mm-hmm. and it feels like that. And so, yeah, I, I agree. I think she, I think she realizes the film she's in. I think she takes her cues from that. Uh, and I wonder how much she as an individual brings to this character. She is the younger sister of, uh, an established, uh, actress. And mm-hmm. so I wonder if maybe there's this, uh, a low level competition in her with her own sister that maybe she was able to bring to this character. Um, maybe. I don't know. There, it's, it's a film that I think everybody should see and uh, not for the faint of heart, uh, it's, after a certain not- point, 
but it's, I think it's gorgeous and I love the music. I do think it's maybe not career best Cliff Martinez, but not far off. He's doing very Hmm. different things in this. All right. Uh, we talked way more about the movie than I thought we were going to, but uh, it was a good conversation, I think. Um, if I do say so myself. Oh, sure. Pat, pat myself on that the back. That second half is pretty solid. <laughs> um, uh, what's, what's first for you? First for me is uh, Pablo Lorraine's Jackie. Oh, I saw this. Yeah. Um, which I... it. I think anybody who likes this movie is probably going to start the way I'm about to start, which is, it's a little iffy at first, and then it got me like a lot. I really started to respond to this movie because so much of it is measured. So much of it seems artificial just as Jackie herself seems artificial. But then you come to realize that this is the perfect encapsulation of this depiction of Jackie, that Mm -hmm. she is somebody who understands just talked about neon demon. Okay. So it's, that is a, a superficial world and the film condemns it because for these people, superficiality is, is the only thing that matters. Whereas with her, it's she understands the power of the surface and she's going and she knows how to exploit that to give something the the importance that it already has and so to me like so much of the film can be summed up in which she's talking to i believe it was a limo driver or something like that and asked about presidents mckinley and uh, garfield right Mm -hmm. uh presidents that had been shot and the and the driver had no idea. And then she said, what did Abraham Lincoln do? He said, Oh, well he freed the slaves. He won the civil war. And she immediately thought like, now admittedly he knows that's a big thing winning the civil war. But at the same time, maybe his death wouldn't be seen as such a tragedy if not for the way that his death was treated. And I think she recognized like Jack was very important to me. And if I'm not careful, he will become a footnote. So I'm going to make sure that he is as important to everybody else as he is to me. And that is the way that she grieves. You know, Mm -hmm. I don't know about you, but for me, whenever I've lost somebody very close to me, there's an element of like, in a way I want, I don't want to talk about it. And in another way, I want everybody to know because it feels wrong that only I should be feeling this. Yeah. I I know what you mean. And there's, there's a definite element to that. And uh, it's the, the degree to which, and I don't know anything about Jackie Kennedy. Maybe this is a hundred percent, uh, accurate. I don't know, but either way, this conception of the character is so complete and so full. And I, the way the, the film is written, the, the use of music as something that it, at times it's definitely mournful, um, but also not sinister, but I don't know. There's a creeping element to the music and I just, I really, it took me a moment to realize what they were doing. But once I realized it, I thought it was uh, brilliant. Um, I, 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 I liked it. I think I, my only, and this is maybe unfair, but, um, when a director makes two movies in a short period Mm -hmm. of time, I can't help but compare them. And I had loved Neruda so, so much that a part of me is like, this is a, good like second half of a of, yeah. a, of a of a double feature like pablo lorraine pablo lorraine made two really great movies this year jackie just suffers for not having been my favorite of the two and i haven't seen Neruda, Neruda so there you go uh, i think you'd like it um okay uh moving on i saw the new ken loach film i daniel blake okay. um i tend to see uh all of ken loach's movies it seems like um uh, i've seen very few uh, well, I mean, I see all of them now, like his last couple, there was Jimmy's hall and there was the angel share. 
Um, and I, I can't remember what was before that, but, um, I mean, I think I, I first came to know who he is, who he was in 2002, I guess is when sweet 16 came out, which I think is a, a brilliant movie. Um, uh, and there's, I, I Daniel Blake, which won the Palm d'Or, uh, if you can imagine. Um, yeah, I don't know why I said so you haven't seen the movie. It's not that great. It's a thing that Ken Loach at this point has made, has made so many movies and done and is so good at them that there's, and there's a, and it, it, an ease that you can be in awe of, uh, in the way that he builds character and tells stories and, um, the way that he uses, uh, humor to address some pretty serious social situations. Mm. But the problem that some of his movies have is that they are more, um, thesis than they are movie. Yeah. You know, they're uh, this identical Blake is the story of a, uh, a, a sort of middle-aged, late middle-aged uh, carpenter who has had a heart attack and whose um, doctors are telling him he can't go back to work, uh, but he falls into a sort of crack in the public welfare system where he can't get the uh, assistance. Um, his his uh, personal savings were used up in the years previous when his wife was sick and died. Um, so like he doesn't have, uh, savings because that was all spent on her, uh, illness. And now he's fallen into this crack where he's having trouble getting money. Um, and the state is telling him he needs to go back to work and his Hmm. doctors are telling him your heart can't handle you going back to work. Um, and so, uh, and, and then meanwhile he befriends, um, uh, uh, a young woman who's also uh, he meets at the welfare office and at the food bank, um, who's a single mother and is uh, also trying to uh, scrape by. And it's um, um, it's basically a look at the way that these systems that are meant to help people dehumanize them because mm. they don't they literally dehumanize them. They treat them as as you know. Uh, as, as numbers or, you know, as cogs or whatever, not as human beings with individual problems and, and needs that need to be, uh, addressed. Um, and so, I mean, these are things that I tend to agree with, but it's so bald faced about how it's laying out Hmm. its argument. And to the point where the, it it has like a monologue at the end by the, the single mother that is like, yep, that's the, Hmm. (laughs) that is the thesis of the entire movie that I just spent, uh, an hour and 40 minutes watching. Um, and so I, uh, I was moved by it. I was moved to tears by it because, uh, the main performance, um, the guy who plays Daniel Blake, whose name I am, uh, drawing a blank on, but I'll, uh, I'll pull it up in no time flat. Uh, it's, it's it's fantastic but the the movie itself is just too too thin and uh too obvious yeah um man i cannot the only film of his i've seen is dave johns sorry is uh when that shakes the barley which i remember liking quite a bit and and that's a and that's a a slightly different mode for him because that's a Mm -hmm. period piece and it's also quite long i remember if i remember um, I seem to recall that, but I might. I, I, it's been a while since I've seen. Um, it. Yeah, he did, he t- generally makes contemporary films about you know poor people, mm-hmm. you know uh, lower class, lower class, and lower middle class uh, people uh, struggling to get by, and he tends to take a very 
um, proletarian view. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he's clearly a leftist filmmaker, and I don't have... Uh, I'm a leftist, so I don't have a problem with that, but uh, I do have a problem when it's so obvious. But yeah. with his... I mean, go to, back to 1969 and watch Kez, K-E-S. That's yeah. uh, an amazing movie. And then more recent stuff, like in like the early 2000s with the navigators and um and um and what was uh, sweet 16 um and there was uh, bread and roses which is the one he made in america mm-hmm. um um which is pretty good um it has some adrian brodiness you kind of have to uh, <laughs> get over but he can make really stirring uh stuff but um he can also fall back on I mean, he's kind of like a, a Woody Allen in a way, in that he churns out movies. He seems to make about a movie a year, and he's he's in his late eighties at this point and yeah. still doing it. and That's fantastic, um, but it also means that uh, you might have to wait a few years before you get a really yeah. a really good one again. And I was hoping I Daniel Blake would be it because of the the, the Cannes Film Festival, uh, you know, uh, victory. Um, but I was a little let down to uh, to see that it was just. Uh, I don't know. It was just so obvious. Well, and honestly, <clears throat> winners of the Palm door are sometimes quite obvious um, and often lead with their, not even politics, but just lead with their message. That is not an unheard of thing. Right. Yeah. Um, okay. I'll <laughs> tell you one movie that is not so clear cut in its, uh, in its views is Martin Scorsese's silence. Oh, another one I've seen, which, uh, I, would say I loved, but the fact that I pause, I think is a credit to the film. Okay. Is no, I, uh, I, I, I said on, on Twitter, best Scorsese sends good fellas. Is that uh overkill? I do like Wolf of wall street a lot. And boy, I said, I said Wolf of wall what street a weird the, one two punch that, yeah. you know, yeah. Wolf of wall street is the main challenger over the past 25 yeah. years. Uh, although I have a soft spot for Cape Fear, but uh, I know it's not well, <laughs> I'm, considered I'm, a top. I really like bringing out the dead. Um, I know you do. I don't. I don't get it. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's. I think I just there's a, every once in a while a certain type of Scorsese will come out where it's it's highly stylized and uh, even surreal at times, and and in no way subtle. Now, don't get me wrong bringing out the dead it's and i i also tend to like his movies about uh loners and yeah. that fits into that but I it's no taxi driver or anything bringing out the dead feels like a hodgepodge of like ideas that scorsese had over his career up to that point that he couldn't fit into other movies yeah. so he decided to make one as just a dumping ground for every like odd idea i do sort of see it as an anthology film uh but with one character uh connecting all of them <laughs> um all right well, well we're talking about science yeah. uh so it's it's a marvelous film in so many ways and it's what's been very interesting is seeing people's response to it uh this is not a universally loved film and in some cases not even a liked film by some people Hmm. uh some people i've found oddly enough uh amongst british critics not big fans uh they uh seem to not all of them obviously but uh they seem to and and they're unabashed in leading with uh, feeling that uh, Scorsese was somehow misguided in wanting to tell this story, even though because they thought like ah he's leading with his with his Catholicism. Parm's like no, he's leading with his Catholicism, not leading with Catholicism. His Catholicism is deeply conflicted yeah. and very complex, 
And, and also, neither one of those things is necessarily a bad reason to make a movie. Unless, of course, you don't like Catholicism, which uh, it would appear they do not. And, uh, you Brits. know, what was that? Uh, those Brits. Don't tread on I'm, me. That's I'm what taking I your word for it that the uh, British, A, don't like silence and B, don't like Catholicism. <laughs> well, it's, you know, and and I'm, I'm painting with a broad brush, but it is a thing that I happen to notice in the critics that didn't seem to care for it. And I'm sure there are American ones as well, but it's a, it's a thing I, I noticed. Anyway, um, so, but yeah, I feel like it's a film that I almost can't talk about because there's so much going on in it. Uh, I do, I, it's beautiful, of course, um, and beautiful in a way that seems to evoke, I'm sure I'm not the first person to say this, but it, it evokes Malick more than uh, Martin Scorsese, and I'm sure that's by design, um, and his use of voiceover actually reminds me of Malick as well. Um, but the story, and specifically the conflict, is absolutely Martin Scorsese, and it is a, I mean, you could speak to this better than I can, it is a Catholic film that's what more I said than a I, Christian film. That's what I said when I when I... I don't know if you remember having this conversation when I talked about it on the movie journal before. No, I wanted to get your point of view because I was raised Catholic and I felt, yeah. and I wondered if, if that would change how you, I do th- how you saw it. I do think that there is a, a, an attitude in the modern American Protestant church where most of us, whether we acknowledge it or not, recognize that we've had it pretty good for a while. And, that's, I think, why you find movies like God's Not Dead, where in those in those certain specific areas, like on certain college campuses, where a, a, a professor will single out a, a student, and then the professor is actually like backed up by the department, Christians will look at that and be like, oh, look, see, see, we're mm-hmm. being oppressed. And it's like... I don't, I'm not in favor of that, obviously, but at the same time, there's a big difference between what's happening in silence and this, but there's, there's this desire. It's like, no, 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 we, there's definitely, even in the Protestant church, there's definitely a, uh, a certain, I don't know what you call it, uh, a certain pride in the idea of, of martyrdom and pride. It could be meant in any number of ways in this instance. And so in, in uh, silence, when you hear that these priests are asking to be hurt, asking to be martyred so that they can sympathize with Jesus, um, it's something that I understand to a certain extent in a, in a broad sense, but I think there is something very uniquely Catholic to that where it is uh, very much about what you do. And yes, there's grace. Yes, there's forgiveness, but it's very much about what you do and being able to account for that. And if you suffer for your faith, well, I mean, obviously you can't beat that. Yeah. And so, but that's just one of the elements that I thought was interesting. I love, um, for, for, I don't like saying the word villain with a movie like this, but I love that villain. I mean, he's amazing. Um, yeah. And apparently the actor is a comedian yeah. in Japan. I didn't, I didn't know that when I saw it or even, I think when we yeah. talked about it before, when I looked that up, when I looked him up, I was uh-huh. like, that sounds about right. Yeah. Um, and, but I like that he brings up very specific points and then the eventual arrival of, I, I feel like it's a spoiler, but so I won't say it, but the eventual arrival of another Spanish, uh, Portuguese, Portuguese character. Yeah. Um, and what he has to say winds up being really interesting. And the choice of actor to play that character is very interesting. Um, yeah. And that's why, uh, I mean, you mentioned the 
the, the Catholics are being persecuted here, but this isn't a movie uh, that's, I think, I think it's using that historical, historically factual persecution as a means to an end. It's not, this isn't the passion of the Catholic priest. It's right. not about their persecution. It's using it to interrogate their, uh, their faith and their, in their system, um, and what they believe about God and Jesus and what they believe about themselves. Yeah. Um, because I think it's, uh, in fact, I'm surprised that we've made it this long without mentioning the last temptation of Christ because yeah. uh, I couldn't make it, you know, one paragraph of my review without mentioning it. And yeah. it's the movie that's the easiest comparison. Um, but the difference is that the last temptation of Christ acknowledges or at least takes uh, for granted that God and Satan are real. Mm-hmm. There's a way that you could be an atheist and watch silence and, and, and not have anything contradict what you already believe. This right. is entirely about the priests, priests, empirical earthbound day to day, uh, internal struggles. Yeah. Um, and, um, there is, um, there's even, I think there's visually, especially early on, uh, it's intentionally foggy. I think that might be an, it might be a, an easy visual metaphor, but I think that fog is there to, um, keep the human characters, earthbound and close to one another and not necessarily being able to gaze at the majesty of blah, 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 because it's about, it's about them day to day. Yeah. It's, it's beautiful almost in spite of, uh, the stuff that is physically in front of these characters. Um, and what I, what I, one thing that I really respond to is that this is not, as you said, this is not all about the martyrdom of these characters and boy, aren't they noble you see that what they're doing could potentially be damaging or at the very least misguided, no matter how noble their intentions might be, but maybe their intentions aren't totally noble. Maybe it's more about them than it is about the people they're trying to, to help or, or to save. Um, but what I, what I find interesting is when you look at people who write about, uh, the film and they write about these characters and they're critical of them and they say, you know what, you know, this, these Japanese characters, like they do have a point and you know, I got to say, I, I think I'm on board with them and it's just like, okay, look who you're on board with mm-hmm. given this circumstance. Like there is something, you know, it's, it's particularly insidious the way the Japanese in this film do, uh, put stuff on people and say like, you're the one killing these people, not us. It's like, well, you are putting them in this position. <laughs> uh, you know, and I like that it's, it's complex enough that nobody gets away from, uh, clean as far as actions or motivations or philosophies. Um, it's, it's such a wonderful film. I can't wait to do a more than one lesson episode about it, but that's going to be a bit down the line cause I've got four episodes recorded already. Um, but even then I just, it's, it seems every once in a while I'll see a movie that feels beyond me. It feels beyond a lot of people. I felt that way about the master. Uh, and I definitely feel that way about this film. So I feel like I'm going to need to, to have a few weeks to think about it and really, uh, think about what it means for me as a film lover and as a, a person of faith and the way those two things mix together and then try to figure out what Martin Scorsese is trying to work out knowing mm. what we do about how committed he was to this story. All right. Uh, yeah, we should move on. We're, um, up against the heart out here. Okay. So, um, I watched the movie that I had been very much looking forward to watching and I found it to be just 
merely interest. I found it to be a human interest documentary more than I expected it. Unfortunately, more expected it to be. I watched Wiener. Okay. Have you seen it? I have not. Uh, but you know what it's about. Uh, yes. It's for those who don't know, it is a documentary that set out to uh, document the mayoral run of then already scandalized or disgraced yeah. uh, politician Anthony Weiner, um, but then during that mayoral, mayoral run, more scandals broke and uh, he um, flamed out again. Yeah. Um, and uh, I didn't find it particularly insightful. Unfortunately, mm. um, it's there's definitely a fantastic amount of access, and I think you could, uh, from a, um, uh, I guess from a meta way, you could say uh, you could look at the the fact that Anthony Weiner allowed continued to allow this access yeah. after things were falling apart as maybe a part of the same um, personality traits uh if you don't want to say flaws personality traits that led to him getting in trouble in the first place i think it's safe to say flaws <laughs> um I, I mean i don't know I, I don't want to get into um judging people's sexual behavior uh, from a moral standpoint i guess um it's not for me to say and it's also something going back to being the clinton scandal being formative for me like mm-hmm. it's something that i uh, almost on principle philosophically don't care about when it comes to politicians. Like I think I've taken a stand where I've said, uh, you cheat on your wife. I don't care. I, I'm sorry for your wife or whatever. Right. Um, but in terms of whether or not you are fit or unfit to run a government body based on that, I don't care. It has no idea. Like John Edwards, what he did, like, that's uh, that's pretty fucking rotten, <laughs> but that's never an end. That was never going to stop me or, or or God forbid, encourage me to vote for him. Like it was never going to have an effect on There's my gotta opinion. There's got to be someone out there, right? Who's <laughs> like, you know what? I appreciate yeah. this guy's chutzpah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, no, I, I, that's not the impression that I meant to give. Okay. Uh, in that I, I, I feel like uh, his, his actions just morally in regards to his, wife and that sort of thing is is bad but at the same time and th- and th- i guess Only that's because in retrospect we know that his wife didn't approve of this sure. this is where i get out like sure so, sometimes from a, a an un, you know uh, 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 uninformed third party opinion mm-hmm. we see extramarital sex and we go oh how how could he or how could she right. we don't know the story of their marriage we don't no. know what they're okay with and what they've agreed to so i i always hesitate to make those kind to to jump to those kind of conclusions no. in this case we do know both because of the documentary and because of what happened this year after you know after the documentary yeah. um where whom abedin has definitively left her husband yeah. after a third wave of this um uh, broke out which Three is strikes only, out. yeah which is only very it's only mentioned uh, you know at the yeah uh because when this movie premiered it's Sundance last year that hadn't happened yet so yeah. there's literally just text on screen at the end that makes mention of the the thing that happened the the uh, this year um but sorry i stepped on your toes because i needed to get on my high horse about people's sexual mores and judgment <laughs> well honestly i would say in talking about flaws i guess maybe uh, by saying moral flaws i guess there's that but also there's something to be said for regardless of what you and i might think about uh somebody's 
personal moral decisions affecting the way they look at policy, most people seem to view them as connected in some capa- in some capacity. Um, and for him to, I don't know, there's there there's a certain, for lack of a better term, tragic quality, and that's oh, where yeah. I'll say flaw, like a tragic flaw. Okay, yeah. Um, that he just keeps doing this in spite of knowing like I've already been caught once. This is not going to, I'm not going to be given. I'm not, I don't have nine lives here. Like I'll be given one, maybe two more chances and then it's done. But it just couldn't, it didn't stop him from doing this thing that he knew was going to be detrimental um, to his public life and probably to his marriage. And to me, there's your movie. But if it's not dipping into that, then what's the point? And I I guess maybe the, I'd be interested if you, uh, for you to see it because maybe it does dip into that and it's just that I, I'm not interested enough. Mm-hmm. Um, my favorite stuff, because I think Anthony Weiner is a very exciting politician to watch when he gets up, when he argues with a person or when he makes a speech on his own. Um, uh, I, I, I find something about his tenacity uh, incredibly appealing and the fact that he can be kind of, I think, in a uh in in a, in a maybe a new york way he could be kind of funny in like but not mm. in like a trying to crack jokes yeah. type of way but just funny there's a part that he's on uh uh before this game was broken i think he's on a, a panel um with a bunch of other i think it's uh, it might be a bunch of other early on like mayoral candidates mm. and the republican comes up to him after him and like starts he's like you know, don't mention me in the same, like he's like getting an Anthony Weiner's face and then you're just like, Oh, what? You're a tough guy now. <laughs> like yeah. it just, there's, a, there's a, there's a funniness to him. Um, and there was that thing that's, it's in the movie and I don't know if you remember cause it went, you know, it got a lot of press at the time when he was, when the, uh, the guy at the, at the, it was like a Jewish bakery. Um, the guy like called him a scumbag and he got into a shouting match. He was just doing a like okay, yeah. campaign stop, you know, shaking hands and some guy called him a sh- scumbag and he got into a shouting match. And it even like has, there's a shot of uh, like an old, like an Orthodox man, like asking the camera, like, why didn't he just walk away? <laughs> but he can't, that's what's so funny is that. Yeah. And so like that, I kind of respect about him that he can't walk away. Like he yeah. has to, uh, he has to get into every fight that's offered to him. And I found that stuff entertaining, but, um, uh, I'm not sure what I'm not sure what I wanted that I didn't get. Yeah, uh, maybe what I wanted is Anthony Weiner to be mayor of New York, <laughs> and I didn't get that because I think he'd be a good yeah. mayor. Did you see General Idi Amin Dada? Uh, no, I never did. It's very interesting, and that's you know, a documentary by Babbitt Schroeder. Yeah, is that, yeah. Um, and so, uh, yeah, it's one where it just. Fought, I mean, the, the level of access given to Idi Amin is astonishing, and he's just crazy narcissistic monster. (laughs) Uh And you know, the film's not going to delve. That film doesn't really delve into who he is because who he is, is this, you know, whereas I feel like something like uh, Anthony Weiner, don't get me wrong. I haven't seen the film, but based on what you're saying, it sounds like there probably it could have delved deeper into who he is, but seemed content to just give us what people already knew publicly. It's uh, uh, document, it is, it, documentaries it, that are sort of like an aggregator of public information. Uh, don't interest me, but that's not the, see, I don't want to get the impression that's what that is. Cause those sometimes, sometimes interest me. Um, if it's organized, well, I think Alex Gibney can be really good at organizing sure. information that's already out there and making it concise. But this is something that like, there's a difference between knowing and seeing mm-hmm. the, the level of access to this campaign. Um, is the reason 
that people okay. would want to see the movie that, that you might know what's happening, but it's you until you actually see it, you know? Um, and really the, uh, I'm the bajillionth person to say this, but the real star is Huma Abedin, who's, mm. uh, a, an amazing person who like you're seeing her marriage fall apart, but you're also seeing her as a political consultant and an advisor, you know, and there's, so there's a, there's this meeting after the, after the scandal is broken. Um, and they're talking about what to do and they're airing personal feelings. And like one of the like communications people is like very angry with Anthony Weiner for like, um, you didn't give me the information going in that I needed. Um, and, and him is just sort of standing in the back and you're like searching her face. Cause you know, like th- there's something's going on, but then she has the time to stop the campaign manager before she leaves and say, there's press outside. Make sure you're smiling when you leave. Yeah. Like it's a, it's fascinating, a fascinating portrait of her. So maybe the film is, is more of a documentary. It's, it's called Wiener, but it's less about him and more about just politics in general. Like it's a political, like the war room or something. Yeah. Like yeah. That. Maybe it is. Yeah. Okay. All right. What's next for you? Next for me, David, I am sorry to say I might disappoint you. <laughs> okay. This is a film that you couldn't, you never could. Oh, <laughs> That's not true. I know that's not true, but uh, <laughs> everything about this film seems like my kind of thing, and yet I merely really liked it. Oh, I know what this is. It is Jim Jarmusch's Patterson. Oh, I'm so bummed to hear that, yeah. because it's, uh, you know, it is one of my favorite movies of the year. There are things I like about it, things I love about it. Um, as a complete work, I, I think it, I see what it's trying to do, and I like what it's trying to do, and I can't put my finger on why it doesn't totally work for me. Um, it might have to do with, it's not Adam Driver's fault. His performance is quite good, but there's something about the Jim Jarmusch type of character, just the, the person who is quiet, the person who uh, won't let their, you know, their emotions betray them or anything like that, um, that if the tone is right, for me, it fits completely, like uh, Broken Flowers. Um, but... You know, Jen watched it with me, and she's seen some Jim Jarmusch films, and she said this didn't really, really feel like a Jim Jarmusch film in certain ways. In other ways, it does. There's a lot of Jim Jarmusch type things in there, but he he crafts such a naturalistic quality that I feel like the the film is sort of at war is too dramatic, but sort of at war with itself because it's a Jim Jarmusch film in the midst of a not Jim Jarmusch world, and it's asking us to reconcile these two things. And so, for example, Patterson's wife, who is a very Jarmuschian character Mm -hmm. and would be seen as delightfully eccentric in a different, in mystery train, um, or night on earth here is deeply frustrating. And Oh, I don't find it frustrating at all. And both Jen and I did tremendously, uh, still, delightful in some what, ways what is but frustrating also, about her uh well let's see i'm trying to think what jen said because i was g- gonna let i figured like i'll just let her say what she thought uh just there's a definitely a flightiness to her um that he is going to have to bear the brunt of uh, she goes off in a number of directions at two, twice, uh, in two days, she talks about her dream, not, yeah. not her dream the night before, but like my dream of a cupcake business and my the dream of, uh, being, being a, a country, country star, star, you know? Yeah. But here's the thing. I think that that is the impression you get early on. But what I like about the movie is that as it goes on, 
what I think Jim Jarmusch in the movie actually respects her just as much as it does, uh, as it does Patterson himself. And I think the point of them is to contrast different modes of creativity. Whereas Patterson is an incredibly focused creative person to the point where his work, uh, his creative work is almost like work work. It's like duty. Like he does it based on schedule and he, and he schedules time and she's the opposite. She has a new inspiration every day and, and she does, she goes where her muses take her. But I think the movie has great respect for both of them, especially since, you know, near the end, she, you know, she, uh, her cupcake, business not yeah you know she's not they're not moving to a palace or anything but like she makes some money from the cupcake business and then they have a nice night out on the town on her you know based on on what she uh what she made i think the movie uh so i think it starts off with that sort of comedic uh look at her as being kind of uh flighty comic relief but i think the movie gives her justice by the end i do think that i i see what you mean and i do agree to a certain extent where there's an argument to be made that perhaps if he were more like her like if she were more like him uh And and just follow me where I'm going here. If she were more like him, she might be a bit more focused and might be able to take her obvious talent and energy and do something a bit more effective with it. Whereas if he were more like her, he might be a bit more willing to be open about his creativity and might at the very least make copies of his notebook. (laughs) Um, and so it's just, but that's the thing is anytime you, you know, people are in a couple, it's, oh, if, if, if I were more like Jen, you know, and I was better at, uh, and I were better at, um, administrative day to day things, I think I would be a better person. Whereas if she were more like me and she was better able to see like the, the bigger picture and, and derive some level of hope from that, then she might be a better person. It's like, oh, right. That's why people are in relationships, <laughs> you know? So there's, there's that element. And so again, there are things I really do like about it. And I do like the arc of both of these characters. Um, but at the same time, there's still this Jarmushian quality that I like in a, but in a, with a different tone, I like this. I like the, the point that the film seems to be making. And I like that in a way I feel like as though I'm watching a superhero origin story, except instead of a superhero, it's an artist. It's a, a potentially popular and, and uh, effective artist. Um, that's exciting to me. And yet somehow just, it's these little touches that I normally love, you know, I'm a big Jim Jarmusch fan. I normally love, but here I find, uh, distracting and I feel like the, there are conflicting tones in the film that kept me from really embracing it, even though Mm. there are individual things that I did embrace. Um, well, we'll talk about it more, I'm sure when we do our top 10 of the year, (laughs) no, you know, and I'll think more about it. That's the other thing. uh, Yeah. Uh, the last, you mentioned tone, maybe a big part of why I liked it so much, um, is that it's the first funny Jim Jarmusch movie in over 10 years since broken flowers. As much as I liked only lovers left alive and it has, I'm, I'm, you know, exaggerating. It has a couple yeah. of laughs in it, and even the limits of control has some goofiness in it with John Hurt and stuff. But uh, um, one thing I always liked about Jim Jarmusch's movies is that that they were unapologetically arty, yes, and, but also they were comedies, yes, um, and that's something I like about uh, David Lynch as well. Actually, it's mm. they're very different filmmakers in a lot of ways, but those those impulses. Uh, are what attract me to to both of them, and uh, Patterson is funny. There's a lot of laughs in it. I think. Yes, um, I agree. All right. Um, 
we'll end on movies. I think you have a TV thing to talk about, but yeah. last thing I watched, uh, I think it was just on last week's um, movie journal. I talked about having seen 28th century women and then mm-hmm. it was my first Mike Mills uh, movie. Uh, Natalie and I, the other day watched beginners, okay. his, his last one, um, which is, you know, Thumbsucker, I don't think got a lot of great reviews. I think, you saw it, right? It, it got enough reviews that people said, like, this is a guy to watch. Yeah, that but kind of Beginners is where I first, like, really started to notice, yeah. like, okay, I'm, I should see this guy's movies. I didn't. Um, uh, and Beginners, uh, have you seen it? I've not. I okay. wanted to because I like Christopher Plummer. Yeah, it's a, it's, a really, it's a really solid movie, and it just, I can't help but compare it to 20th Century Women, and it feels like practice for yeah, 20th yeah. Century Women. It feels like it's... Um, it's uh, you know I, I see some of the same impulses and I see him having fleshed certain things out uh, between beginners and 20th century women and I also mm-hmm. see him having maybe exercised some things some some cuteness uh, in in beginners um, that that isn't there uh, uh, thankfully in in 20, 20th century women. Um, but both movies are biographical ones uh, about his father. Um, mm-hmm. This one is about his father and the other, other one is largely about his mother. Uh, but his mother is in flashbacks and beginners and she's played very well by Mary Page Keller. I had to look her up. I don't, uh, didn't know her. Hmm. Uh, it's a fantastic performance, but I also couldn't help but compare it to Annette Benning Cause I know they're both like yeah. based on the same, on the same character. Um, but yeah, I think, uh, beginners is i'm gonna say yeah it's mostly a uh it, it just seems like practice yeah. i'd say i mean i'm i'm a lifelong ewan mcgregor fan uh melanie laurent is the love interest to christopher palmer obviously is great the person the the sort of fourth leg of the table that i didn't realize uh was in it and is is great is uh goran Vizhnik. oh yeah uh, he plays christopher palmer's boyfriend you know mm. the 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 plot for the, the premise of people who don't know, it's about his dad who came out of the closet at age 75 after his wife of 40 something years had yeah. died. And that's a true story. Uh, and Goran Vizhnik plays his uh, younger uh, boyfriend and it's a fantastic performance by him. Now, yeah, you know what? <laughs> this is, this is a silly and maybe ageist thing that like, from Gordon Vizhnik's, from his character, I don't know what his character's name is, but like from his standpoint, like, what, what, what are you getting out of that? Oh, there's, I mean, if you want me to tell you, the movie in a very funny line specifically addresses it. Oh, okay. Uh, in which he says, like almost the first thing he says when he meets Ewan McGregor is, my father stopped talking to me when I came out, and so I've always been attracted to older men. <laughs> like he just okay, lays I it was out. Gonna, yeah. uh, um, and the the funny like follow up is Christopher Plummer's like sort of brushes it off, and Gordon Vishnick like you realize this is, and it's it's all in his face. He's like, oh, this is a big admission for him, but Christopher Plummer's like, I don't want to talk about that. And he's <laughs> almost like a little hurt for a second. Yeah, um, uh, it's a great little performance in which uh, I mean I, th- I think. I mean, from as far as I know, I don't think Goran Vishnik is gay in real life. Mm. Um, and I'm always interested to see how uh, people choose to play a character. Because yeah. on the one hand, this is a character who his being gay is a huge part of his identity. Right. It's how he thinks of himself. It's how he talks about himself. But he also is in no way a stereotype. You know, right. he's a guy who's into... 
into fireworks and he has kind of a dumb haircut. Like he, he doesn't, he's not a gay stereotype those, in any way. Those are two things that I wasn't. <laughs> yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. I do associate those two things, <laughs> right. uh, but uh, yeah, that's odd. All right. Um, you wanted to talk about American dad again? Sorry. I didn't know yeah. we're not supposed to. Yeah, yeah it's, away it's talk fine. Um, and I don't have much to say except that I've, you know, while working, it's a good show to throw on while I'm working, but uh, just to re more than anything, reiterate what I was saying. Um, last week, which is now that I watched a bunch of episodes from seasons like eight, nine and 10, uh, it really is, I would say a marvelous show. It is character based. The characters, unlike family guy, where I feel like, uh, the creators have a, a lot of disdain for their characters. I, I feel nothing but affection for these characters, but still understanding where they are flawed and, and the characters are malleable enough that you can you can incorporate them into some odd stories here and there, but uh, the the humor feels organic, and sometimes there's a randomness, but randomness in a way that again comes from the malleability of the characters and the world, as opposed to something like Family Guy, where the the randomness is the is the joke. Um, and again, not to bash Family Guy too much, uh, it does make me laugh from time to time, but I often feel ugly. Uh, I feel like I'm watching something ugly, and I feel ugly when watching it, whereas American Dad is a genuinely good show. And now that I... Last last week, I, I gave the caveat of Seth MacFarlane stopped being a creative force in this show mm -hmm. within the first few seasons, and since then it got better. Now that I've given that... I can continue to talk about the show as just incredibly solid. And I would, it, I would, there are 10 seasons available on Netflix. Um, maybe start the, maybe, maybe start from the beginning and yes, you'll see a lot of McFarlane stuff. And I think you'll be able to actually even tell, hmm. and I, not knowing this because I haven't gone back and watched season three and then four or whatever it is. Um, I get the feeling you'd be able to tell almost, almost instantly when he stopped being a creative force behind the show. Hmm. Um, cause I do remember watching those early episodes and just feeling like I was watching a clone of family guy. Now I feel like I'm watching a, an homage to better Simpsons and that there's mm -hmm. such a difference between those things. All right.